The word synod means walking together. It's something that God's people can only do by His grace as we look to Him. How foolish when people strive and struggle and argue, but how gracious of our God that for us He would make Himself the lowest and the servant and give Himself. You and I, as God's people, we work together now as a body of believers, not stepping over each other, but stepping side by side as we serve each other. And as we serve each other, that service goes beyond the family of God and it goes to the world around us as we serve with the gospel. The following is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Reaching out with rock solid hope in Rim Country. October 21st, 2018. Mark 10, 35 to 45. The man, Walt Disney, certainly created a lot of magical kingdoms, didn't he? And yet he wasn't content just to create magical kingdoms on the screen. He actually intended and set out to do that for his company, his production studio. So that the, the Disney company and Disney studio is unlike any other studio, unlike any other company, it was rather unique in the way he set it up. What he did was he had all the company's businesses, all the company's production lines, all the animators, everybody living together in what essentially was a, a mini city for Disney. And so that the, the top animators only had to walk a couple of feet to make it to their office building. And they had all the amenities any top artist could ask for as they didn't have to go too far to their favorite grocery store or their favorite restaurant. They could go to work out or to swim. It was all right there. Perfect, magical little place to work. Disney's little kingdom. Except it wasn't entirely perfect. As it turns out, there was a strict system of tiers for what level employees and what privileges they had. Those top artists and top writers got to live very close in a special house. And they got to go to the top floor, which is a special floor dedicated to the best. Meanwhile, the rest had to walk a little bit further and didn't have so many privileges. The top artists, they, they got their own special office with a company-provided rug and a company-provided chair that were fit for a king. Well, there's an interesting documentary that outlines what it was like to work with Disney and his company. And one of those top artists describes his situation when he started associating with the people on the lower floor. He was warned not to spend so much time with those lower-level employees. He didn't listen. And then one day he gets into his office and he sees his favorite rug, that special company-provided rug and, and chair, aren't there anymore. He goes to his boss and asks, what, what, what's happened here? His boss tells him, we just don't think you're cut out to be on the top anymore. So much for a magical little kingdom. But see, as we look at this, maybe, maybe this company, maybe this studio wasn't so utterly unique in the way that it ran, was it? That's what the world is like, isn't it? The world tries to get on top and people struggle and vie for important positions. Might it ever be that way in God's kingdom? 
Why God's people ever struggle to be in charge or to have the special spot? Well, we've seen it before and we'll see it once again as Jesus' disciples are vying for top position. This morning we continue our sermon series on family values as we look at what our God values. And he actually turns things upside down. See, God's kingdom is utterly unique in the way that it functions. Those who are to be of the top are actually servants and at the very bottom. Our family serves the world. James and John had come to Jesus, it says, with a rather bold request. Jesus, we want, we want you to grant our request that one of us sit at your right and the other sit at your left when, when you're sitting in your glory. Now, maybe one can see why they might have been so bold. Jesus had, in fact, singled these two brothers out, James and John, along with Peter, and kind of let them be privy to some special things. James and John, with Peter, were the ones who got to see the raising of Jairus' daughter. They got to witness, unlike the other disciples, Jesus on that high mountain when he was transfigured in glory. You could see why they would have begun to think they were special as part of Jesus' inner circle. And that this afforded them some special perks in God's kingdom. Jesus, however, helps them to see they, they've got it all wrong when they're vying for that position. Are you able, he says, to drink the cup that I will drink and to be baptized with the baptism I will be baptized? Jesus is basically saying to them, if you want to be close to me, you have to also follow me in suffering. The expression to drink the cup is an expression that refers to a, a cup of suffering which Jesus would face. And the way that he uses the term to be baptized means to undergo an ordeal. In this case, a very difficult ordeal. Jesus referred to that as he just spoke to his disciples. For the third time, he clearly told them this, of that cup of suffering and that what he would face. He said to them just recently, The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, and flog him, and kill him. This is what the disciples are to face as they follow Jesus, suffering, a cup of suffering. The hymn writer John Newton was pretty right when he phrased our journey to heaven by saying, through many dangers, toils, and snares we come. Well, James and John seemed unfazed. They said, we can and in fact, Jesus says, you will face the suffering that I will face. You will undergo a cup of suffering. Turns out that James was the first of the 12 disciples to die, put to death by the sword as he drank his cup of suffering. And John, his brother, was the last of the 12 disciples to die, himself exiled as he faced an ordeal of suffering because he followed Jesus. And yet Jesus tells them, this isn't going to give them a higher position. They don't understand it's not for me to give that position now. That's for those for whom it's appointed. Didn't give them a higher position, but it certainly did get them in hot water with the fellow 12 disciples, didn't it? When the disciples, the other 12, heard this, it says they were indignant with James and John. You can imagine, rightly so, right? 
What, you think, James and John, that you're better than us? You think that you get to be in charge when we come into glory? They were rightly upset. They were jealous, I'm sure. And they were bothered by the striving that these two brothers had. It's really unthinkable they should strive for that. And suddenly as we look at the disciples, the, the rest of the twelve, they too have fallen into the game of who is more important and are concerned about such things. Doesn't this picture of the disciples start to look a little bit like that picture of the employees at the Disney studio? And it still is this way today, isn't it? Where God's people will strive and struggle and vie for top position. It could be a pastor who's pushing his own agenda. It could be a church president who's following his own ideas. Or it could be a district president in a church body who is simply making a power play. Or it could be a, a synod president, the, the leader of a group of Christians that is using pawn moves to get what he wants. We like to be in charge, right? We, we like to be on top. And this happens within the church and God's people struggle and vie for position and authority. And just as the rest of the 12 disciples were bothered by that happening, don't we get bothered when we see these power plays? And don't we get upset because we begin to reason, why should they be in charge? Shouldn't I be making the decisions? And so from the pastor to the missionary, to the president of the congregation, to the president of the district or synod, down to the person in the pew, the power play comes into picture. And God's people strive for control and to be served and to be making the decisions rather than to serve. When this happens, instead of carrying out their work as God's people, they begin to squabble. And instead of carrying on their mission to serve this world with the gospel, the lost remain lost. Jesus comes to his disciples, comes to us, and gives us the picture of his kingdom when he explains he calls the twelve together and says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. In other words, isn't Jesus saying, My kingdom is to be utterly, entirely unique in the way it functions. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. And then Jesus adds on that he doesn't just tell his disciples to do this. He does this. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So when the person in the pew is proud and happy because they're singing the song they enjoy, but someone else is upset because they're not, because their suggestion didn't win the day, there's a vying for top position. When the pastor pushes his own agenda instead of serving lovingly, he's losing sight of this. When the district president, congregational president, synod president, when anyone in charge begins to use their authority to lord it over others for their own purpose and agenda, they lose sight of this. When missionaries vie for the spotlight over their brothers and sisters, they lose sight of this. And when any of God's people consider it important to be served, and to be in charge, they lose sight of God's kingdom and what is really great. Jesus does this. The Son of Man did not come to be served, 
Jesus, out of all people, couldn't he be the one who would demand from his disciples that they would not give him just a pay, but would give him a pay above a king? But he didn't. Instead, Jesus, it says, had no place to lay his head. It appears he only had the clothing that he wore and the the basic needs for his life. Why? He did not come to be served, but to serve. And Jesus, as their teacher, could have demanded that his disciples would come and serve him hand and foot. But he didn't. Instead, we will see him serving his disciples as the lowliest of servants, washing their feet. He didn't come to be served, but to serve. And when Jesus was in Gethsemane and the the soldiers came, he could have demanded as Lord that his disciples take up their swords and that they fight for him and give their life, lay it down to protect him. But he didn't. Instead, he said, let these go and, and take me and allowed himself to be bound willingly. Why? Because he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And as he says, to give his life as a ransom for many. When God's people struggle and vie for position, God's mission falls and falters. And the devil's agenda is one, as he divides the people of God. How can God's people work together? How can they be those who don't struggle for position, but all of them serve, all of them carry out mission and ministry together? How can pastors be supported? How can missionaries be supported? It's by this, by Christ, who gave himself as a ransom. Though we struggle and strive to be on top, Jesus made himself the least and put himself on the bottom. It says he became a ransom for many. That is, Jesus said, I will take the place of everyone, James and John, the 12 disciples, of every sinner in this world who strives to be in charge, including us in his church. And Jesus gave his life in place of his people. And then the kingdom of God we see is altogether different from the kingdom of this world. You and I, as God's people, we work together now as a body of believers, not stepping over each other, but stepping side by side as we serve each other. And as we serve each other, that service goes beyond the family of God and it goes to the world around us as we serve with the gospel, the good news of Jesus who gave his life as a ransom. And you and I as the people of God make ourselves servants, as Paul says, the slave, the least of all, so that others might have and know the service of Christ and his love and giving his life for us. The word synod, as I said, means walking together. It's something that God's people can only do by his grace as we look to him. How foolish when people strive and struggle and argue, but how gracious of our God that for us he would make himself the lowest and the servant and give himself. As we look at this, this is now the third time in these four chapters that we've been looking at in our sermon series, the third time where we see the disciples are striving for greatness and to be on top. Remarkably, it's also the third time, now the third time where Jesus has clearly laid out the suffering that he will undergo as their Savior. Kind of says something to us, doesn't it? That God saw this as a warning that we needed as his people, a reminder that we needed about not striving for greatness like this world, striving after Christ 
who in greatness gave himself as a servant and gave his life. You and I as the, the people of God and family of God are altogether different from the world. Our congregation, our church body, our synod is not to operate like this world, but to serve in humility. And is not to vie for position or power plays, but rather is to yield to one another and to become a servant so that this world around us might know the Savior that we have. Jesus, who became the lowest and the servant of all. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So may we drink the cup that he drank, serve one another, and through that service reach more and more. We do that together as a congregation. We do that together as a church body walking together. You know what? I don't care if I'm at Jesus' right or his left or if I'm, if I'm at the far side of the table. I know I'll be with Jesus. And so will you. And so will many more who we reach as we serve in his name. Amen. Amen.